This podcast may contain strong language and adult themes, namely planning gruesome and bloody murder. Hmm. You have been warned, this is Perfectly Murderous. Kia ora and welcome to Perfectly Murderous with myself, Ryan Stevenson, and my good friend, Sandy King. How are you, Sandy? Hello, hello, hello. How's it going? Yeah, really good. Thanks, buddy. We've uh, It's been a little while since we've chatted. I've been away on holiday in Auckland. And uh, it was busy, busy. I need a little holiday after the holiday. Just sort of quite a common thing when you have children. <laughs> no, that, I was going to say, yeah, I've um, I had a couple of friends come over from England to stay with us for four or five days recently. And they've got two children, I think about about, about the age of your two, a little bit older. Um, and by the end of it, they definitely needed a holiday to recover from the holiday. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, it's, a, it's a military operation, isn't it? But you had um, you had reinforcements, right? You've still got Laura's parents with you. Yeah, but we. I mean, this is just an example of a day. Mm. So we had we, our last day was a rest day. Everyone was feeling pretty tired. Just have a rest day. But it also coincided. I don't know if you sort of ever heard of it. They do have it in the UK, maybe in Italy. I'm not sure, but something called Puck Run, mm. and basically it's a volunteer-led 5k, um, just a run around a park. All, all free, just just fun, basically. Mm. And Jim's been doing it in the UK, and he really wanted to run a New Zealand one. So we got up early in the morning, ran this 5K, which to Jim's credit, he's 75. Wow. Came first in his age category. Good on him. Yep, run it in about 30 minutes. So I was pretty impressed with that. Respect to Jim. Yeah. Definitely. Although don't tell him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what that you were that you were impressed? Yeah, we, we don't we don't let him know things like that. Are you uh, are, are you reversing the the classic father in law role of making the son in law work for his <laughs> approval? You just you pulled the old reverse modern family. <laughs> uh, I'll accept him into the family one day. Yeah. <laughs> he has stolen your wife after all. <laughs> So we, we did this 5K run, and then after that, we went and got the kids, played on this huge playground that we saw on the way round on the on the run. There was an event going on near to where we were, so we had to park about sort of two miles away from the park, so we had to walk back and forth. And then we went for dinner, and there's Mount Eden, mm. which is the same name as the sports ground, yeah. but um, it's actually next to a mountain called Mount Eden. Yeah. And I jokingly said to Finn, let's... Let's climb it. And Finn was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> He's like, I will call your bluff, Daddy. <laughs> and and I was absolutely done. But he was, yeah, we're having dinner and then we're climbing the mountain. Wow. How have you been anyway, Sandy? I've not been too bad. Not been too bad. Can't complain. I've been doing a lot of work, but I'm back to running my own company at this point. And so it's a little bit more satisfying than when you just oh, nice. trudge in every morning and make someone else loads of money. Yeah. I can now, I was going to say make myself loads of money. That's absolutely not true. But, <laughs> you know, the tiny pittance I earn does at least come back to me in the long run, hopefully. So, yeah, no, it's some um, good times, good times. And I can now, the temperature's returned to a temp. To, to, to a level at which I can sit in my tiny cupboard without feeling as though I'm about to expire. So uh, so everything is well with the world. Oh, that's cool. I'm interested to, to delve back into your father's bizarre revenge fantasy. I know, I know. <laughs> that's what I've needed. That's what my life's been missing. Insane revenge fantasy. <laughs> 
because it has been a while for us, but what can you remember for chapter 32, I think it was? Okay, so yeah, 32 was a planning chapter. Our anti-hero, David Stone, has decided that it's it's time to off his ex-wife and he's he spends chapter 32 thinking about how he's going to do it. There's a lot of a lot of looking forward to hiding in woods. There are woods overlooking her house, which she says is uncomfortably close to reality. And he's going to disguise himself as part of the wood or as maybe some sort of large woodland bird or... or, or I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. He's going to disguise himself as something and watch. He knows he needs a patsy in this scheme and the patsy is going to be Ron, the new husband. He's going to get the blame. He has to get rid of the car that he's going to use, but he's got a cunning plan of leaving it on fire outside a scrapyard and assuming that nature will take its course from there. He needs to get rid of the body, so he settles on an asbestos infill site where it gets buried daily. He is basically planning to pop her on the head, take her away, tape her up, and and then leave her in an asbestos site. But he also needs an alibi, and so for his final ghoulish twist, he decides the whole thing's going to happen on the day of Anne's funeral, so he couldn't possibly be implicated. Sorry, Sandy, my phone dropped out then. It's, <laughs> it sounds like I just missed the entire recap. <laughs> did you just carry on talking? I, I did, yeah. I noticed you disappeared, but I thought I will give you a nice, smooth one take of me <laughs> recapping everything, and then you can use that rather than having to kind of pick up momentum halfway through. Ah, oh, well, I assume you did a fantastic job on that. It was brilliant. Um, yeah. It was brilliant. <laughs> I think you should leave this unedited and no one will know that Ryan lost the call for a little bit. Well, I um, I don't know what else I can add, really. <laughs> well, my... Mm. The thing I liked about the uh, the end of chapter 32 was he, he thought of the perfect alibi, which was the day of the funeral when nobody's going to see him. Mm-hmm. So his alibi is, I was alone. Yes, I forgot that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's perfect. Yes. And also it's something like, you know, the the alibi is the funeral that takes place in the afternoon <laughs> for a murder that takes place in the morning. <laughs> or or possibly the other way around. It's perfect. It's foolproof. There are, there are no holes appearing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was somewhere else. <laughs> not too far away at a slightly different time of the crime <laughs> on my own. Watertight, watertight. Good job he, he spent all that time planning with, with Detective Robert Steele. <laughs> Indeed. Well, just a, a slight uh, addition to that, just to lead into chapter 33, is that mm. he, if we go back a little bit further, he was very angry at his house and punched a hole in a door and blood splattered everywhere and he passed out and he ended up being back in hospital sedated. Mm. It's just good to remember that all everything that happened, all of these fantasies and planning yes. are happening while he's sedated in hospital. Yes. Because we, uh, we're about to return to present. We're about to snap back to reality. Indeed. All right. Are you ready, Sandy? Here's chapter 33 of Getting Away With Murder. Take it away. You awake, David said a soft voice close to his ear. David was dozing, and it took a few seconds for his brain to register that he was being spoken to. Even half awake, David knew that voice instantly. It can't be. Not this quickly. 
His eyes opened slowly to check if the face matched the name he'd thought of. God, it did. A little older, grey hair now, more wrinkled, thicker build, but a match. Robert. Straight into Detective Robert Steele, this chapter. Oh, it's the first time we've met him in the present. That's right. All their conversations have been 25 years ago in the pub. So, Mm. yeah, this is an actual present day. He's a little older. Yeah. A little older. (laughs) Not as old as you would have expected for the time that's passed. (laughs) And his voice hasn't changed. His build is thicker, but his voice remains recognisable, even even throughout the fog of a medically induced coma. (laughs) Also, also, I'm just going to say, waking someone up with the line, are you awake, is a real dick move. (laughs) Because obviously... By the time they've heard you, yes, they are. <laughs> Especially someone who's lying sedated in hospital. <laughs> it sounds like they've been been through uh, quite a lot recently. Yeah, let's let's wake him up. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell, David! What have you done to yourself? He said. Doesn't matter about that. What the fuck are you doing here, Robert? David stared at the familiar face in disbelief, his mind racing. I haven't done anything. <laughs> The the classic cry of the innocent man. <laughs> All those hours of tight-eyed sleeping just wasted straight out the window. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I tell you, quite a lot of the time he was just laughing to himself, wasn't he? <laughs> the, the maniacal laugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't done anything, he said defensively as his brain raced to solve the mystery of Robert's appearance. Why was he here? How did he find out so quickly? Why is he here? Is this part of the dream? No, this is real. I'm not dreaming. What does he know? Hang on, twat. I'd only been dreaming of the murder. I haven't actually done anything yet. He hasn't come to arrest me for something I haven't done. There aren't any dream police. No police involvement. David visibly relaxed, his mind slowly slowly coming back to focus, back to reality. He tried to smile, cover his tracks. Robert looked at him, puzzled. David struggled to come to terms with his friend's appearance and of him as a possible enemy now. Something really weird here. Confused. I'm back in the hospital, not Anne. I'm being treated. She was dead. I collapsed afterwards or something. I'm still in hospital. So why was Robert here? Has he come to question me? David was more confused than ever. The sedative still clouding his thoughts. The dreams mixing with reality. I've dreamt it all. There was no murder. I'm glad David's confused, because I'm a bit confused as well. I think we're all wondering whether whether Robert is here on a <laughs> on professional business or personal. Because mm. surely there's there's nothing suspicious. I'm trying to think back. Has has David done anything? He's done a bit of shouting in the street and he's punched a hole in his own wall, but there's there's nothing that he's done that would have involved or alerted the police, is there? No, he's only yeah, he's he's a bit of a mess, but nothing that sort of I mean, Detective Robert Steele's already he's already sent that email to us, hasn't he, saying that actually there's not <laughs> a crime to investigate. <laughs> that's that's very true. The odd unpaid hospital parking ticket, maybe, but mm. uh, but nothing nothing that would usually alert Scotland Yard, which is where I believe we've been told Robert works these days. And it's um, I can understand David's confusion in that a he's going through this terrible time in his life, and he's had this horrific head injury, and he's 
had a transient ischemic attack mm. and he's just woken up and seen a friend that he hasn't seen for a long time out of context and it would I can understand how that would just be completely disorientating and just be like, what what's happening here? Also, it's 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 always the worst time, isn't it? You see, you you don't see someone for twenty five years. Uh, you don't see your old police mate for twenty five years, and then just as you're about to murder someone, they wander around the corner and ruin everything. <laughs> you think, oh, if you turned up at any point in the past twenty five years, up until about two days ago, I'd have been delighted to see you. But now you're a spanner in the works. <laughs> Or in David's words, now a possible enemy. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think uh, David's alone in his confusion here. Oh. They just stared at each other. David looking totally confused. Both of them, in fact, confused at the unexpected confrontation. Robert spoke first. Sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. I know this is the last place you'd expect me to be. I almost sort of shaking you awake and shouting in your ear. Surprise! Fancy meeting you here. But I resisted when I saw you. <laughs> If if you thought that Are You Awake David was a dick move, shouting surprise <laughs> at somebody. Surprise at somebody's in a coma. Yeah. <laughs> that really would have been... Uh... <laughs> Suddenly, yeah, Are You Awake doesn't seem so bad now. <laughs> I take back my criticism. <laughs> Robert could see that David was still confused and decided to explain more. It's very handy for us. Yes. <laughs> Sorry about the rude awakening. I just came down to see mum, Robert said. She hasn't been well for ages. I said I'd pop over. Just as well. She was taken bad just after I arrived and she was admitted to hospital last night. I came over to see how she was getting on. When I arrived, you were in the emergency room as well. Recognised you straight away. When I saw your name on the admissions board, I had to ask what had happened. Explained I was an old friend that I was concerned about you. Showed my warrant card to prove I was genuine. They told me everything. Is that how hospitals work? It's a, I mean, a, there are a few logistical points there. I'm pretty sure there's a level of level of privacy, even if you're a policeman. The big, like, airport-style board of the names of all the patients doesn't seem in the strictest sense of of, uh, of confidentiality. Mm. Um, and I feel like maybe the police need to suggest why they need this information. I don't know. He's clearly a lovely, friendly guy. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And he's a detective. <laughs> So he's good at working things out. I love the fact that privacy's just gone out the window. And it's just, yeah, showed, showed his card and they just told me everything. Policeman. <laughs> there we go. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Which we, we joke about privacy going out the window, but probably in reality, you know, a policeman asks a question, you probably would just go, yeah, this is what's happened. Da, da, da. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. David just looked stunned. Was this an omen? He said nothing. Christ, I nearly gave everything away. I haven't even done anything. What did I say? Did I give anything away? Jesus. Just a coincidence. Just a bloody weird coincidence that he's here. He almost sighed in relief and smiled. And Robert, spotting the weak grin. Sorry, I'm pumped full of drugs and sedatives. Can't get the brain working. Won't focus, blurted David. Oh, yes, no, I understand, said Robert, nodding. Don't know what you were dreaming about. Hope I didn't spoil it. You had a big grin on your face before I woke you. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that he was still chuckling to himself as well. <laughs> exactly like that, yes. I can just imagine him, yeah, just doing that evil laugh. <laughs> <laughs> David almost panicked, but Robert ignored the explanation. So what really happened? They told me about Anne. I'm so sorry. 
But you, did you really try and end it all? Don't be so bloody stupid. I was upset, lost my temper, hurt myself. Ended up here and I think I got sedated for my troubles. I certainly didn't try and top myself, said David angrily. Hmm. Bloody relief, said Robert. Thought I'd lost you after all these years. There was a silence as they looked at each other, each summing up how they'd changed over the years. Time hadn't done either of them any favours. Been a while since we really talked, said Robert. We've always been friends. No, we've drifted apart as we got older and pursued our own careers, but at least we're still on each other's Christmas lists. You always have your little game with me. Some forensic puzzle to solve. Almost wish I hadn't started that. (laughs) It is at this stage of my career occurring to me that it might represent a slight professional conflict of interest. (laughs) I I love the fact that, yeah, that this is, this is, I mean, Robert's recognised this is the main reason that they've stayed in touch. (laughs) It's this forensic (laughs) puzzle that they have to solve. The old hypothetical murder conundrum. (laughs) And um, David's convinced that he's probably slipped down the list of possible suspects. <laughs> although, although with Detective Robert Steele's detective work so far, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't put it together. So <laughs> we'll see, I suppose. I mean, we know that he's clearly good at getting people to trust him because not only has he has his has his a quick flash of his badge being able to persuade the hospital staff to tell him the name and condition of someone uh, that they're treating in an unrelated matter, but also the fact that there's been a suspected suicide, which does seem a bit indiscreet. Mm, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> All right. You always have your little game with me, some forensic puzzle to solve. Almost wish I'd started that. But at least it kept us in touch all these years. But you still haven't beaten me yet. I could still outsmart you. He grinned. <laughs> goading. <laughs> yeah. yeah, goading him even further. <laughs> I bet you couldn't even murder your ex-wife, could you? Go on, I dare you. You've still not figured it out. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Robert paused for a moment and reached out to grasp David's hand. The intimate touch shocked David when he realised there was actual concern for him from this rotund policeman. He still regarded himself as a close friend. David was genuinely surprised by the concern. Robert had always been a sounding board for him, somebody to talk things through with, somebody to unload on. David suddenly realised there was still a deep friendship between them, even though he hadn't seen him in years. But he really cared, shocked David. Years ago, when Robert had joined the police, they drifted apart socially still kept in touch for the old beer. They kept in touch because of that game between them. David would dream up another perfect murder scenario and Robert would shoot it down in flames. Tell him how easy it would be to catch him. But over the years, some of the arguments have become quite convoluted, very scientific. In the end, David still lost all the arguments. I fought the law and the law won. That stupid song went through his mind and he grinned again. Whoa, 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 whoa. There, there, there are some, some bizarre and offensive bits of writing in this book, but I'm not having Joe Strummer bad-mouthed in these, uh, in these terms. <laughs> My words. There's a line. There's a line. Come on, Barry. It's not, it's, it's not their best work, is it? <laughs> I love the fact in this as well that, Dave is convinced he's dreamt up the perfect murder, despite the fact that even after decades of talking, Robert always shoots him down in flames, it seems. (laughs) And he fought the law and the law won. But he's still convinced that now 
<laughs> this time. <laughs> yeah. But this time it just <laughs> might work. Well, he is under very heavy sedation. Mm. Even if he's, he's unexpectedly kind of lucid enough to be able to explain that exact fact. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've sort of analysed the last couple of chapters quite a lot. Mm. And the signs are kind of there that it's all just kind of unravelling quite a lot, right? Yeah. That it's... um. And that when we talked a couple of chapters ago around, you know, the, the perfect murder and how you strive for something perfect and only that kind of leaves you falling short of it, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of all these signs in the writing that actually it's not quite as perfect as we see. No, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. The, the idea that mm. maybe it's not, maybe this isn't a story about, a, or like, hang on, how do I put this? In a, in, a, in a slightly more tactful way. Maybe this isn't an optimistically written story about a good murder, which I think is how I've been reading it up until now. Mm. But maybe this is actually a story about someone who's so blinded by rage that they're prepared to... It's like a, their sort of... Their tragic flaw is that they can't see how terribly... <laughs> how horrifically badly they've planned this and they're clearly not going to get away with it. Mm. And we've very much been reading the book that, you know, Barry Morgan and David Stone are hand in hand and there's sort of slight differences. And Yeah. But actually, it kind of seems that the author's aware that this is all flawed. Yes. Whereas David Stone's very much ignorant to the fact. Well, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of two TV series that I really like. Right, One is Breaking Bad, which I'm guessing you've probably seen, but the other one is called The Americans, which people haven't particularly. But in Breaking Bad, okay. you, it's set up right in the very first episode that you know this guy who is turning to a life of crime, his brother-in-law is a DEA agent. And in The Americans, it's set up in the very first episode that this family of Russian spies, their new next-door neighbour, is works for the CIA. So... You know from the beginning of both of those series, I don't think I'm I'm spoiling anything here. Mm. You can tell where that's going. You're not gonna start as a as a as a storyteller to to tell that story unless at some point you you get the resolution of the police figure working out what's going on and you find out mm. how they react to that. And it's part of the kind of the sense of the the main character being doomed from the start is that they would do something so reckless while they know damn well deep down that they're going to get found out for it one day. Mm. It's very much like this, isn't it? Because you made the point in an earlier episode that the way it, the story has been framed, it's not about is there going to be a murder or isn't there going to be a murder. Mm. It's been more about is he going to get away with it or isn't he, which kind of makes you side with David Stone a little bit more, which is yeah. you know, a clever thing to do. But now we're getting to the point where it's kind of unravelling and you're going, mm, I do have real you know, grave concerns that actually he's really going to struggle to pull this off. Yeah. So now you're kind of left wondering where is it going to go wrong or how is it going to go wrong or yeah that's true that's true yeah you're kind of left with a different wonder now i think but yeah it's, it's interesting to see that that evolving as the story goes through yes the way that the way that it shifts and and leads you to the next sort of realization mm, right let's see uh let's get back to david and robert here i'm sorry i gotta go back a little bit that stupid song went through his mind sorry sandy <laughs> and he grinned again at confronting his nemesis Robert was pleased to see a positive reaction from his friend. See, life isn't so bad, said Robert as he stood up. Let me know about Anne's funeral. I'd like to pay my respects. Anne was a wonderful woman. 
everything you needed after your first wife. So it all ended like this. Robert started to leave, turning just to say, I don't have too much time. Back to London tonight. Just going to check on mum before I go. They've moved her to a normal world. Out of the emergency now. Good to see something's going right. Take care now. See ya. David sat up. He was still amazed at Robert's presence. Jesus. You were the last person I'd expected to see, especially now. Was this a good or bad omen, perhaps? Don't know which way. A good omen to say he'd be out of the way, back in London, or a bad one. One to say, I'm still here, I'm still watching. I know what you're thinking. I remember your plans. Yeah, I think of the two, it's definitely a bad omen. Yes, I would say it's a bad one. We'll give we'll give David the, the benefit of the, the foggy sedated doubt but it's pretty much a bad omen the person who you've been planning the murder with for the last 25 years and and also the person who's going to be in charge of catching you yes wanders into your life on a massive coincidence and says i remember all of that stuff we talked about around the forensic evidence (laughs) i remember that yeah (laughs) i would say that's bad (laughs) it feels it doesn't feel great (laughs) unbeknown to robert David had over the years quietly filed away every nugget of information from their games, every tiny mistake in David's reasoning. Robert had inadvertently given him the answer to virtually every pitfall he was likely to make. David smiled at the thought, I couldn't make a murder foolproof, but I can get close. And all thanks to you. You show me with that good planning. Bad luck was the only thing that could trip me up. I've even factored that in by looking at every aspect of the plan to see what could possibly go wrong with it and at least make some sort of contingency to reduce the risk. You helped me plan everything and at least you wouldn't be on the scene when I carried out the murder. You'll be far away when I destroy the witch. Good job too. You're too clever by half and might put two and two together, especially after you've provided me with all of the answers. You're nothing to do with the police here. You'll be miles away when the case is investigated. You're part of the Met now, back in cosy London, far, far away. David grinned at the thought that a possible foe had been removed from the scene, but his mood began to change as he thought of the task he'd set himself. I've got less than two weeks to do this. Where to start? He felt so tired, he had to sleep, but his brain was working overtime now. Planning, planning, be alert for tomorrow, start the planning. Get the logistics right and make sure I'm not seen preparing during those two weeks. No mistakes. All the site visits had to be secret for a start. So bloody tired. No mistakes, no clues. He drifted off to sleep again, dreaming black, dark dreams. Planning the perfect crime. Kill the witch. Get it right. Get away with it. How to do this right. What to do first. Dreaming, preparing his checklist over and over again in his subconscious. David smiled in his sleep. And for once, this time, the sleep was deep and satisfying. And that, Sandy, is your chapter 33. Wow. Well, it's nice that he's getting some proper sleep. It is, isn't it? (laughs) Satisfying. I'm not sure I totally agree with his reasoning, but if it makes him happy, then that's good. Detective Robert Steele be far away in the Met. So my dad's in... He lives in... In Kent, right? All this is set in in Kent, yeah. Far away. So far away from London. You know, Kent to London... For listeners in New Zealand, what what was the drive time between between London and Kent, Ryan? <laughs> Forty minutes. It's not... Yeah, far yeah. away. Forty whole minutes. And um, and I'm sure a detective in the Met wouldn't hear about a murder. 
that's about a 40 minute drive away i'm sure it'll be fine this would have to be set in some slightly alternate universe in which murders are so commonplace that one committed in in an adjoining county wouldn't even register on the Mets. I'm sure they would they would have so many other violent crimes to investigate that they, they just wouldn't even notice. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even have time to investigate the murder. Far away. Far far away detective Robert Steele. Mm. He's out the out the scene now. It's a good omen. So it's a yeah, a little bit of a a shift in sort of how we're interpreting what's going on. So, uh, yeah, we've got... So he says he's got two weeks. We've got two weeks of a, of a little bit of planning. Mm. Well, it's certainly picking up steam, isn't it? The momentum is uh, beginning to roll. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, it, yeah, we've... Uh, <laughs> well, it, yeah, it starts to pick up even more as we continue through the next chapters. So uh, there we go. Mm. All right, Sandy. Although I quite enjoyed that chapter because I always enjoy a chapter with Detective Robert Steele in. Oh, we love a bit of Robert Steele. Shout out, <laughs> yeah. shout out to Robert Steele if you're if you're there on the emails, <laughs> on the Skelex strips, whatever you're up to now. Just, I'm surprised he can even work an email, but um, yeah. <laughs> but um, just to take us away from the mind of of Barry Morgan, what's your uh, what have you got for us, Sandy? Well, the strangest thing that's happened to me in the past um, the past few weeks is an odd uh, an odd little sort of fifteen minutes of not even really fame, but just accidentally creating something that uh, that's clearly resonated with quite a lot of people. So we talked, I think, last time about how some political events in the UK haven't been going absolutely fantastically for the government yeah britain is now for those of you listening in the future britain is on its third prime minister in the past three or four months there's people in the future going oh is there only three at that point (laughs) (laughs) exactly this is this is a guy called rishi sunak who you'll remember from having been prime minister for about eight and a half minutes (laughs) have you uh have you ever watched a show called the in-betweeners right yeah yeah right okay so i was listening to rishi sunak's first press conference and I was immediately struck by how uncannily this guy sounds like the character of Will from The Inbetweeners. Oh, okay. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you a couple of clips, and one of them will be Will, and one of them will be Rishi. And you see if you can work out which one's which. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For our children and our grandchildren, I pledge that I will serve you with integrity and humility, and I will work day in, day out to deliver for the British people. Well, we'll have to put the um, the link into into the podcast, but um, yeah, that's that's great because it's got Rishi Sunak talking and maybe Will talking. I'm not sure, but then it's the visuals switch between the two, and I'm just not sure <laughs> who's talking at what point. Right, exactly. It is uncanny, isn't it? Right, they're both of them. They sound exactly the same as each other. Um, and I noticed this, and I, I put it up on Twitter. Yeah, and it, it really got a bit of traction. Um, this this thing that I tweeted is currently being seen by six million people, and uh, liked <laughs> wow. about seventy thousand times across a few different accounts. <laughs> stolen and plastered all over TikTok, by, which I don't use. Nicked by a couple of very well-followed Twitter accounts and uh, more respectfully retweeted by some others, including a guy called Jonathan Pye, 
who does excellent angry political videos and a satire uh, website called The Poke. And yeah, at the moment, it's, uh, it's it's hovering around the six and a half million views mark. Wow. Which is very strange because I don't really use Twitter to tweet. I just use it to occasion. Yeah, I kind of use it as a, as a way to find out what's going on in the world. Um, I will sift through a few feeds that I find interesting and, and read the articles that they link to. But every so often you feel a bit aggrieved about something and you send out a reply. And this was one of those. And um, wow. it caught fire. It's a very strange experience when something you did is forwarded to you by a friend who thinks you'll find it funny, who doesn't have a clue that you created it. <laughs> wow, it's, that's amazing. It happens, yeah. I think I might have to put you in, in charge of the uh, publicity for the podcast because I think we, we're sitting at roughly... The social media account. We're a little bit lacking on the six million. I So I probably should have dropped in a plug in that tweet, shouldn't I? <laughs> Being like, by the way, listen to Perfectly Murderous. <laughs> uh... <laughs> oh, that's amazing, though. That's just... Uh, I mean... It is a hilarious tweet, which we'll which we'll put on the we'll put on the notes of the show. But it's all stopped now. But it's but for like two days, it was absolutely bananas. I check, and there'd just be like another four hundred thousand people, you know, wow. watching it. That's crazy, to Yeah, six six million people. So you, you've basically had you've you've had the population of New Zealand view your your tweet. That's a very bizarre way of putting it. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've only got um, wow. I've only got one point five million of those views on the original tweet, but because it got retweeted so much and by some very very well followed accounts, it's uh, it's gone to the population of New Zealand. <laughs> well, wow. all right, Sandy. Well, we'll leave it there with um, getting away with murder this week, and uh, we'll we'll rejoin David Stone and his his planning with chapter thirty four. Brilliant. All right, mate. Take care. Amazing. Speak soon. All right, buddy. Bye. Bye.